Hi, I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America, Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about COVID, Bill Gates, and HCQ. Maybe Dr. Everett Piper joining us. Maybe he's not having a hard time connecting today. And finally, a message from Biden's basement bunker. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk to today's first five. And again, I must thank my producer, Matt Stoker, and the Real News PR team for letting me be on vacation, visiting family, and still able to do my show. Love, love that I can do this. I will tell you right now, I'm probably going to take next week off. Not probably. Next week, I'm going to take a week off from the show, enjoy this vacation a little bit. It's August. Things are quiet. But I'm doing the show this week live and grateful to Real News PR and Matt Stoker for making it possible for me to do this um, while on vacation. I want to start out today talking about the um, incredible things we're watching in America related to the coronavirus the holding back by the government of information related to hydroxychloroquine, in fact, the suppression by the government uh, of the idea that uh, hydroxychloroquine is effective in treating COVID-19. But I, and I, so I want to start by just showing you a chart and ask Matt the one if I sent him a chart related to the death rate in countries. And I just want to hold that chart right there, Matt. I want you to just look at this and recognize the point this thing is making. In countries, by the way, hydroxychloroquine has been used for, I've learned facts recently on this topic, for about 75 years. It is effective and has been proven effective for decades to treat all sorts of diseases such as lupus, malaria, and uh, other autoimmune diseases. It has no known side effects, which is one of the reasons it is so popular with doctors. It's also inexpensive because the patent has lapsed. So you would think that in a sane world, this would make the, um, the entire country, our country, very excited about the idea of making hydroxychloroquine available um, for use of, for, uh, when we're dealing with the coronavirus. But what the, your, the chart you're looking at is showing you is that in countries, and by the way, hydroxychloroquine has not been sold over the counter in America, uh, but it has in other countries available uh, as an over-the-counter medication, meaning just you don't need a prescription, just like you go in the grocery store. Um, you can go into uh, stores in countries around the world and you can buy hydroxychloroquine. With that chart, Madam, sorry, I do want that chart up one more time just to show you what I'm talking about. What this chart is showing you is the difference in the fatality rate. How many people died of COVID-19 in countries where you had hydroxychloroquine available over the counter and where many people took it early on. People took this medication early on, early on onset of the symptoms and sometime even as a prophylactic, meaning people took hydroxychloroquine to avoid developing COVID-19. The countries in blue, with the, the you can see right there, the countries in blue, Costa Rica, a bunch of other countries you're seeing listed, all those blue lines, those are indicating countries having a lower fatality rate due to COVID-19 because of the availability of hydroxychloroquine. Those countries include Israel, South Africa, Chile, Turkey, India, Russia. Countries in red have a much higher fatality rate. More people die of COVID-19 in countries where hydroxychloroquine is not available, where it's been banned or discouraged. And I just want you to think about, this is not one doctor's one-off anecdotal story. This is not just one um, allegedly potentially ill-informed American. This is data. Now, I wanna come back and, and talk to you about why that matters so much in America. So you've had doctors talking 
okay, we can thank you for that chart. That chart is you got to take a um, screen grab of that chart, folks, and share it with your friends. So in America, we have had the uh, willingness of some doctors to speak up. We've had them on my show. Uh, we've had them on my show. Uh, we had Dr. Robin Armstrong from Houston. We had Dr. Yvette Lozano from here in Dallas area. Uh, doctors around the country saying, look, you know, this great hydroxychloroquine is working in actually relieving the symptoms of COVID-19, actually allowing people to, as, as a very effective treatment to get past the danger of COVID-19. But we've had suppression at an almost impossible to comprehend level. And many doctors in this country trying to talk more and more about how, is, how could this be? Why would this be happening? Well, one thing that's happened along these lines is that a medical organization, a top medical organization in America, named the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, AAPS, has actually filed a lawsuit trying to get the, the HHS, the U.S. Department of Health and Sur Human Services, and the FDA and the CDC, essentially trying to force them to release the hydroxychloroquine they are holding back from availability to America in the millions of doses our government has and is holding back. And you're likely aware that Dr. Fauci, who uh, unfortunately still seems to hold the predominant decision-maker role in the medical community in America and the, for, on behalf of the medical community of America, seems to hold the decisive role and he continues to discourage, kind of uh, roll his eyes, wrinkle his nose, act doubtful in every way depress the idea that hydroxychloroquine is a successful treatment. There have also been studies showing that hydroxychloroquine is effective, not just one random study in some back, you know, backwards area, but serious studies up to now 51, five one studies around the world showing hydroxychloroquine is effective in treating COVID-19. I am not here to give medical advice. I am a lawyer by background. I'm a talk show host. I'm a conservative advocate. But my conservative advocacy drives me to want to talk about this with you and to urge you to think about why in the world, why in America, where the data you just saw from around the world, countries that made hydroxychloroquine available early on and many countries over the counter have a far lower death rate from COVID uh, due to COVID-19 than countries like America and other countries where COVID-19 is either withheld, discouraged, or banned. In what other arena of medicine would we be saying, oh, better hold back. This thing seems to be working, so let's not make it available. Let's hold it back. So you had a lawsuit filed, again, by the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, and they're basically, in addition to filing a lawsuit saying, come on, federal government, release what you have, make it available in America, uh, they're also, this same organization is submitting studies to the government. So the government can't say, hey, well, we didn't know. Who knew that there was a problem that, you know, we had such a great and effective treatment and effective treatment available. Available. So they are talking about this group is actually using language like the perfect storm of politics in a presidential election year. And we're going to get around to this in a moment, how this ties to the presidential election, how it ties to the push for mail-in ballots, how it ties to uh, the president's fabulous booming economy being essentially decimated by COVID-19 and by the slow recovery of COVID-19. So, and also being sent in by this group to, uh, who are suing the federal government are saying, what in the world is the idea of all these studies that, that are being essentially suppressed? Why is it that those studies aren't more widely available? Why in the world is it these studies aren't more available so people understand there is actual success, 51 global studies finding HCQ effective in treating COVID-19. I also want to mention to you that there are other studies that we've talked about in the show before, but other studies that people like Dr. Fauci and others might refer to and say, well, look at this study. You know, they didn't have such great results. Two things to know about those things, again, pointed out by this organization. One is that in many of those studies, they wait to make hydroxychloroquine available as a treatment to patients who are already at the severe stages of COVID-19. They aren't using it at the early on onset phase that they should be, but instead are using it when they are very, uh, very late in their development of the disease, very seriously ill. 
And it's not as effective then as it is from the if it's used at the outset. The second point made in many of these articles I've been reading is the idea that some of the studies, because there were studies that say it's not effective or not necessarily that effective or may have harmful side effects. The harmful side effect studies that people point to and say, well, this is why the government's holding it back. You look at all these studies saying harmful side effects. Understand what they're doing in those studies, and at least some of them, and I think many of them, they're sabotaging hydroxychloroquine, sabotaging hydroxychloroquine by administering it not just late in the development of the disease, but also in highly excessive amounts, in amounts where they, that would not normally be prescribed. So yeah, you give someone a lot of anything, it's not going to be as good as giving them only the amount they need. So they have those studies where they're saying side effects uh, seem to be some heart attack or side effects in other ways. It's because in at least many of those studies, they're giving patients an excessive amount, a naturally unnecessarily excessive amount of hydroxychloroquine. And all this, you know, I'm talking to you about this. I know other talk show hosts are talking to you. Doctors are coming out about this in this country and trying to say, hey, I'm finding great success using hydroxychloroquine. What is the reason the government is pushing back so hard against it? Well, now I want to ask Matt the Wonderful and wrapping up the first five today to play a clip. This is Bill Gates, and you all know who Bill Gates is. You know, he's a billionaire, and he is someone who's been very active really for decades in efforts to eradicate diseases. He's, his causes have done many good things. He has given money to causes, or he's created foundations all over the world, including very determined to try to root out these uh, debilitating diseases that are rampant in lower income countries and poorer countries. He's tried very hard to bring a better life. So you, know, you can say, well, he's, got, he's done a great thing. He's trying to bring people out of poverty, people out of suffering. So he, Gates, has been expanding what he's been doing in terms of trying to bring people, uh, help people in, in impoverished countries. And he's become an extreme, extreme advocate for vaccines. As we talked about in the show before, he's an advocate for vaccines as the, as the solution for uh, a wide array of diseases around this world. And he has been behind and supportive of the kind of vaccines they now have available where they can inject in the vaccine, include in the vaccine, a tracer, a marker, so that when you get the vaccine, it's not just that it supposedly helps you, prevents you from getting some disease, but then they can trace you. They don't have to even draw blood. They don't even have to figure out who, you know, what your, your um, medical history is through a chart. They can simply uh, test you while you're standing there and say, yep, you know, a little marker in your system is telling us you've had X, Y, Z, but not these other three things. You know, you're not up to date on your vaccines or you are up to date. Putting vaccine markers in vaccines is the latest trendy thing. Part of what Bill Gates pushes and part of what he's extremely determined to push with respect to hydroxychloroquine is to push that, excuse me, with respect to vaccines, which he would argue makes the hydroxychloroquine kind of unnecessary. Don't worry, we're going to have a vaccine. Let me ask Matt Wonderful to play this little clip by Bill Gates. My lifetime, there, this will be the greatest economic hit. But you don't have a choice. People act like you have a choice. People don't feel like going to the stadium uh, when they might get infected. You know, it, it's not the government who's saying, okay, just ignore this disease. And, you know, people are deeply affected by seeing these deaths, by knowing they could be part of the transmission chain and, you know, old people, uh, their parents, their grandparents could be affected by this. And so you don't, you know, you don't get to say, uh, ignore uh, what's going on here. There, are, there will be the ability, particularly in rich countries, to open up if things are done well over the next few months. But for the world at large, normalcy only returns when we've largely vaccinated the entire global population. Okay, folks, I have to tell you, that is a very alarming video, and that is Bill Gates on August 1st. This isn't something he said years ago. August 1st, and he's basically saying the world's going to stay shut down. And certainly, he's talking to America, going to stay shut down until the vaccine's ready and everybody gets it. And that's the only way to return to normalcy. Bill Gates doesn't need to make any more money. That is clear. But he is intellectually, financially, emotionally, and professionally invested 
deeply invested as va into vaccines as the only answer and to pushing that for America to deal with our situation uh, with, with uh, COVID-19. So he doesn't get his way. You hear the language, the tone he uses, much as he has that kind of almost folksy accent and he's gesturing with his hands. I think the hand gesture stuff, it looks, in his case, it looks a little bit like someone who's just exasperated with the stupidity of the American people. They should have to explain why shouldn't you, that they should be happy. They should feel lucky. Look, Bill Gates is giving us a vaccine. Can't we all just say yay? This is the attitude I, I sense from him. The idea, I've got a solution here. Please shut up with other ideas such as hydroxychloroquine or the inhaled budesonide that is a solution that Dr. Bartlett of Midland, Texas has come up with. He's been here in the show. He's joining us again in a couple of weeks in the show to talk about the great developments he's had dealing with COVID-19, finding recovery through the use of this inhaled uh, steroid budesonide using a nebulizer. But back to what I'm on this first five today, it is staggering, it is alarming, and it, there is no good explanation. I guess that's part of what more, the more the American people are coming to, around to recognize him. There's no good explanation for what we are watching our government do. There's no good explanation for the suppression of the massive supply of hydroxychloroquine parked somewhere in Washington in the federal government. There's no justification for the continuing mockery and derision and and kind of and, and dismissal of the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine by the federal government. There's no reason for it. There's no good reason, no legitimate reason, except to say it appears that a growing number of people, certainly uh, Dr. Fauci, certainly Bill Gates, certainly a, a wide array of people around this world see the idea that the only way that they, they say the only way to get past COVID-19 is with massive vaccination. And when we recognize the vaccination process involves now these tracers and markers. So you're not really going to escape the government's ability to assess you, figure out what you've had, tell you what you need to get. This is a, it's a very alarming picture. And actually, especially in the age of Donald Trump, who is pretty much usually right with the American people, right with the idea of freedom, right with the idea of supporting a free people. It is very concerning that we're not seeing more um, speaking up on behalf of the Trump administration in the White House. Really a little bit alarming that we're not hearing Donald Trump saying, you know what? I mean, he's made comments here and there about hydroxychloroquine being, you know, that he liked taking it. When he took it, he felt it kept him healthy didn't have any side effects to him. So he's been, you know, inching his way toward some statements that are friendly toward hydroxychloroquine, but he's also pretty much onto the vaccine bandwagon, onto the notion that we're going to have to kind of stay tamped down. Um, and that is, a, a, you know, on the very short list of things I feel concerned about President Donald Trump, that is on the list. I think he's, now I've gotten notes from listeners, I think he's not quite attuned to how far Dr. Fauci led him down the primrose path, duped him into getting into the shutdowns, getting into the entire decimation of our economy. I'm not sure Donald Trump is yet quite clear on how much Fauci literally manipulated the situation and is still manipulating the situation. I would love to see uh, President Trump just say, you know, Dr. Fauci, uh, there's no answer. You have no answer to the reality that countries that made hydroxychloroquine available early on over the counter and they had a far lower death rate from COVID, you know, you haven't given me an answer that's good enough. This is what I'd love to hear Donald Trump say to Fauci and to the American people. I have not heard a good enough answer yet out of the, uh, the medical community of Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, the whole NIH. I haven't heard a good enough explanation for why we have better results in countries that make hydroxychloroquine available and, and in terms of keeping death rates down and worse results in countries like America where we're trying to tamp it down, discourage or ban its use. And so President Trump needs to say to Dr. Fauci and all the rest of them, you know what, we're going to go with what works in this case and we need to make hydroxychloroquine more available to doctors around this country and stop talking it down. I'd love to see that out of the Trump administration. 
I do get emails from uh, listeners all the time, uh, emails and messages on Facebook saying, oh, I think Donald Trump is just leading Fauci along. He's just playing him. You know, he's eventually going to come out and say this. I hope so. But folks, we're less than 100 days away from the election and the availability of hydroxychloroquine, the prevalence of COVID-19, the prevalence of fear of COVID-19 is a massive factor in the November 2020 elections. And I want those 2020 elections to be not done by mail-in ballot, not done by the farce that the left is trying to create with with the fear of COVID-19 and expanding uh, the voting period and going with mail-in ballots. It's all tied together. It's all tied together. So I'd love to hear that Donald Trump is going to step up sometime soon and say, you know, Dr. Fauci, we're not going to ignore data. We're not going to ignore science. We're not going to ignore reality. Countries allowing access to hydroxychloroquine are, have a better survival rate. Therefore, we're going to make it available in America. We're going to stop talking it down. And if you can't get on that program, you need to move along. That would be a seminal, fabulous Donald Trump moment in his presidency. And that, my friends, is the first five or a little bit longer than the first five. Well, you may realize that... Um, um, Okay, so we, I'm just so sorry to do that. You know, I'm doing this, if it's not obvious, I'm doing this on vacation. I'm actually sitting up in an upstairs bedroom uh, and we're visiting family out of town. And so um, we are, uh, you know, kind of rolling along. Sorry to have to bend down and see things. Uh, on, but anyway, so we normally have Dr. Everett Piker on the show. Um, and he was scheduled to be on today. He's just texting me now. He's running into some difficulties. Uh, so I am just going to move right along to the next topic I had for today. And that next topic has to do with uh, the fall elections. And I really do, I want to spend some time on recognizing what a pickle the American left is in. The American left is in, I call this Biden's basement bunker or something like, I gave it that kind of title, uh, messages from news from Biden's basement bunker. But I really want to talk about what it is exactly that the Democrats are facing in these 2020 elections. And it's really important to understand this because there's a lot of talk, you know, there's polling that was showing Biden is up by however many ridiculous number of points, Biden way up and, you know, Trump's behind this, the eight ball and, and, you know, the media is just all ready to declare a Biden victory, you know, even before the election starts. With a lot of pieces that I want to put in place about this, and it's not just because I want the 2020 elections to come out in favor of Donald Trump, which of course I do, but I really want Americans thinking about, my listeners thinking about the, the position that the Democrat Party is in and how they got here and how they're trying to get out of it. So let me start, first of all, with the array of candidates the Democrat Party had running in the 2016, excuse me, in the 2020 presidential primary cycle. When you look at the, I think it was 17 people, all of the uh, Democrats in this country who kind of are, you know, molding and shaping the Democrat Party's agenda and their path forward and who they're going to be and who they appeal to, those people did not want an old white guy to win. They did not want to have Joe Biden. He was about the last choice of the last choice for the radical element of the Democrat Party. And when I say the radical element, the Democrat Party functions in America by, as I've said in the show many times, by making silos of people. So they have, you're, you're assigned a silo, a hyphenated definition by your race, your gender, your ethnicity, and that's all they, they care about. And so you're a woman, you should vote for Democrats. You're a black American, you should vote for Democrats. You're Hispanic, that is the way they think. And they don't like old white guys, and especially the young voters in the Democrat Party do not like old white guys. They did not want that. They had an array of people. They were they were just desperately hoping the Democrat primary voters would come up with one of those type people to win the primary. They so hoped they had, for example, Kamala Harris. They thought she, that's who I actually thought, I thought would win the primary. She is very pretty. She's African-American. She's well-educated. She's accomplished. She has government service under her belt. She's been a prosecutor. And she's been a United States senator. I thought that would be the dream ticket for a lot of Democrats. But she got nowhere, nowhere. Could not even get herself mostly out of single digits in terms of her popularity. 
and she was about the best one of the lot. I mean, there are a whole bunch of them. You had Elizabeth Warren. You know, the, de- the Democrats would love to be the ones that put a first woman president. But they had Elizabeth Warren. And, you know, she is a she's as communist as Bernie. I mean, she's a Bernie Sanders. She's a female version of Bernie Sanders. And I also thought she would get traction. I really did. I think she has she's very articulate. She's been in the Senate for like 100 years or something. Uh, she's very able and she's got her. She had uh, problems with voters perception of her in terms of her integrity because she pretended she was Native American for 20 or 30 years and got quite a bit of headway in her life and income and jobs and all that. But, you know, she still ended up being not the one uh, who the voters could get behind. Bernie Sanders, probably they're, you know, the one that the um, the vast majority of millennials, young voters the voters that the Democrats count on, they like him, even though he's an old white guy, because he has, you know, he has radical leftist views. He's a, he's a communist and he's you know, he's settling for calling himself a Democrat socialist. He's a communist. He runs in communist policies. I'm getting to the point. The Democrats had a wide array of choices. The last one they wanted to win was Joe Biden. The last. Compounded with that, Biden is failing mentally. Not a little tiny bit. Dan Bongino was out with a story this week saying inside sources say that Biden is declining so rapidly, the party's really, really in a scramble trying to figure out who they can put in in Biden's place, because as if you watch news at all, I, I never run these clips making fun of people's mental decline. I, I, I mean, it's obvious if you ever listen to him for five minutes, he can't remember what state he's in, who he's talking to, what he's running for. He closes out many, he ignores or shuts down many questions in the very, very few media interviews he does take. He shuts down questions uh, with like, I don't, I don't really have time to talk about that or um. You guys already know about that, so I don't really have to do that. He couldn't keep track of the uh, words of the Declaration of Independence, the opening uh, of the Declaration of Independence. So he's, you know, he's very, 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 very confused. But he's their choice. So here they are. He's hiding out in the basement in his home in Delaware, trying to avoid any connection with the American people, trying to avoid any, um, you know, just, just having to even deal with the media. Because every time he has a media interview of any kind, he forgets what he's talking about. He forgets what day it is. He can't keep track of the topic. He gets lost in a sentence. He's talking about something. And then he has a, a string of words that are just incoherent. And then he kind of stares at the camera. And if his wife happens to be there to rescue him, she goes, OK, good job, Joe. Thanks. I mean, this is the candidate they are stuck with. And the Democrats cannot believe this. I said for months that they were going to have to end up just replacing him, finding a reason to say, hey, uh, turns out Joe can't run after all. But we're getting pretty close because the Democrat convention is coming right up. And so the Democrat convention coming up and now you have the uh, Democrat Party trying to decide. And I'm kind of I I do smile a lot about thinking like being a fly on the wall inside these meetings inside the Democrat Party. I think what they've decided to do is keep him on the ballot. He's their candidate. It's it, you know, they they could be concerned they would you know turn people off or cause alarm by sticking somebody else in, but he's on the ballot and he's incapable of the job, cannot handle the job, and everyone who knows him knows it. All the media knows it, everyone knows it, but he's the one who won. And I want to spend a moment talking about why he won. Biden won the primary, and this should make you feel good about America. Biden won the primary. Because even in the Democrat Party, filled at the leadership, filled with radical socialist Marxists, the Democrat Party platform is a straight out happy Marxist platform. That's what the Democrat leadership is. But the Democrat voters, a wide swath of voters in this country who voted Democrat for you know their entire lives because their mother voted Democrat, because they still think the Democrats are the ones who defend the little guy, whatever the reasons are. The Democrat voters in this country took one look at the radicals who ran for president and they chose Biden because they were under the delusion that Biden was kind of more mainstream. He's a familiar face. He was Barack Obama's vice president. You know, if he never opened his mouth, you could argue he looks presidential. He kind of stands there looking dignified, silver haired, you know, he even has a pretty good ability to look pretty serious and earnest. And so I think he won the primary largely on the assumption that he's not a crazy radical Marxist. 
So the Democrat voters in this country don't want a crazy radical Marxist. That's why they pick Biden. What is the job of President Trump and the Republicans from now until November is to make the, help the American people understand that Biden is exactly what all the other candidates were. He actually also is a crazy radical Democrat. He's a crazy radical Marxist. He, Biden and his team have met with Bernie Sanders and his team. They are right on board with the uh, Green New Deal, with the radical housing programs, the housing decisions, zoning run from Washington. So Washington's gonna start telling people where you have to live, what kind of housing is going to come into your neighborhood, uh, where you're going to have low-income housing put. This is Washington's going to orchestrate forced economic, racial, uh, national origin integration. No more uh, you know, lovely enclaves for the wealthy. They're going to run everything from Washington. And that was a, a pipe dream of Obama, a, a radical pipe dream for um, Bernie Sanders. And it's a pipe dream for Biden. So the Republicans have a job, and I'm sure they'll do it, to make sure America understands Biden is just as radical, just as radical as all the rest. But I want really where they are today, because I want to get, because actually it really matters. We're uh, talking about the 2020 elections and, and what we're going to do about this, because the Democrats, number one issue they have is they have to find a superstar vice president, vice presidential candidate to run with Biden. They have to have a superstar. Because most people are assuming that Biden can't handle, they know he can't handle the job. So the vice president has got to be someone really, really stellar. I'm going to get to the one you're all thinking about in just a moment. But, you know, Biden has floated many names uh, and other people have kind of stepped up and said, I want to be considered, I want to be Joe Biden's vice president. All sorts of people who are not palatable, not workable, not reasonable choices for him to make. But. We did have one woman, and I wanted to mention her name because she um, she has kind of risen to the fore just in the last few days, talking about a woman named Karen Bass. And this is a woman, she's a California rep, Karen Bass. It's a, she's a black woman. She uh, is viewed to be very articulate and, and very well-grounded. People think she's, you know, she would be palatable to a wide swath of voters in this country. Biden desperately wants to have a woman and preferably a black woman, for some reason, and again, I thought he picked Kamala Harris, but apparently she's not okay with him. Uh, Stacey Abrams wants the job, but Biden wouldn't think of having her. But this Karen Bass got a lot of headway, a lot of headlines recently, talking about um, you know her as a potential for the vice presidential uh, race. And uh, so stories, naturally, the media digs in and checks out who she is, what she's all about, because most people hadn't heard of her. Um, she's considered a top contender as a, um, for Biden's running mate, and she has a close and ongoing connection with the Nation of Islam. The Louis Farrakhan run, Jew-hating, America-hating Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan. Louis Farrakhan, a controversial figure for decades, Nation of Islam, proudly anti-Semitic, proudly hates Jewish people hates white people. This She's got a close affiliation with him. So she has her picture taken with him. She goes to their conferences. She stands there. She smiles, gets her picture taken. Uh, and now she's trying to say, you know, I don't really think too much about that. Not, that's not really me. So it's really, it's one. It's a tough thing because um, this was someone they thought might be powerful, be workable, acceptable, uh, fly better in the, for American voters than uh, Kamala Harris. I know a lot of you are hearing, and I want to briefly address about Biden and the vice presidential pick. A lot of people are floating the idea that what the Democrats are going to do is at the last minute, put in Michelle Obama as the vice presidential pick. I will tell you, if they could arm twist her to do it, she would be a formidable opponent for President Trump because the Obama mystique much as conservatives deplore the what President Obama did to this country for eight years, conservatives deplore what that man did to our federal government by weaponizing our federal agencies against the American people, uh, abandoning America by going along with the Iranian deal and, and essentially funding and arming the most violent, 
uh, terrorist inducing terror exporting country in the world, Iran, and you had President Obama enter the Iranian deal, which enabled the Iranians to develop nuclear weapons, exactly the opposite of the supposed reason. So I'm getting around to, you know, there's a, uh, there's a presumption on the conservative side that if Biden picks Michelle Obama, boy, are we in trouble. But I want to disabuse you of that a little bit. I don't want, I don't think our side should be saying, hey, yeah, you know, we had uh, Michelle, we, we had everything was going along swimmingly, but then Biden shows Michelle Obama, so we might as well give up. I want to remind you, everything we now know about Barack Obama, America knows about Barack Obama, and it's part of who Michelle Obama is. Everything uncovered about the Obama presidency, the weaponizing of the American government against its own people, Michelle Obama has to own that or denounce it. But even more importantly, and why I really want to talk about this today is Michelle Obama is in no position. She, if she were the vice presidential pick, she can, cannot and not denounce the violence, the massive riots, the mobs, the thuggery, the arson, the murder that's being carried out by the Marxist Black Lives Matter and by Antifa. She can't say a word. Our side's going to be talking a lot about that and should be about how we cannot in this country, we cannot continue to humor, enable, uh, support. We cannot allow this violence to continue. Michelle Obama is going to have to defend it. If she were the vice presidential candidate, she has to defend it. She has no other choice, especially not just because she's black, but in part, in part because she's black and in part because the Democrat Party has been completely enabling, allowing, tolerating, not cracking down on the violence on the streets in America. And so that is a huge strike against Michelle Obama. I also think in this country that once the American people saw the great good that came from the Trump policies when he became president and we actually began securing our border, we actually began bringing jobs back to America, we got rid of horrible trade deals with China and other countries, which resulted in jobs coming back to America. All of that is part of the mix that the American people will look at in the 2020 cycle, that we brought jobs back, that President Trump brought the lowest unemployment numbers for every conceivable category of American ever, ever. And so I, I, I really think there's an important thing not to get down some really fearful path that says, well, you know, if it turns out that somehow Biden arm twists, coerces or whatever, Michelle Obama to become his vice presidential candidate, that we should throw up our hands and just decide we're lost. No way. The American people, the American people want what they found under President Trump for the first three years of his presidency. They want that security at the border. They want trade deals that make it safe and, and they make it productive for America to trade again. They want jobs to come back to America. That's what the American people want. And we need to not have some kind of throw our hands up and surrender if Biden somehow arm twists Obama or Michelle Obama into becoming his vice president. But I do realize that rumor is out there. And I don't, I, I mean, she has said many times, I don't want it, I don't want it, I don't want it. I will say the Democrat party though is desperate. They're desperate because they see a Trump, and I, by the way, I'm gonna share these numbers in a moment, but you know, Trump's polling is back up. He's back at 51% approval rating. And then, the, and so, so Trump is, you know, he's, he was dealt a really raw deal on the whole coronavirus thing. He had, I mean, things were going on in America quite swimmingly really well until we had the coronavirus hit earlier this year. And obviously everything has fallen apart. But I think the American people want what Trump is offering. And I make that case. I also think this ties back to our first segment. I want to talk about it more uh, a little later in this show. But this whole idea of how the entire effort of the Fauci, the Democrat media mob and the left to keep the coronavirus propped up as a scary thing to not allow Americans access to treatments that are effective. This is all part and parcel of the effort to have the election steered toward Biden because they can unfairly blame Trump for the coronavirus and the way that death numbers on the coronavirus and the resulting harm to our economy. That was a long ramble, but the first point I wanna get on Biden is his vice presidential pick is huge. If Michelle Obama 
will say does say no, there's not anybody else in the cards, no one even in the works who would have the power and impact and draw that Michelle Obama has. And the entire Democrat party knows that. The entire party understands that. There's nothing like her in terms of a draw. And they know his VP pick really, really matters. Okay, so Karen Bass, I think she's already out. He cannot bring her along with her nation of Islam uh, friendliness. Okay, next thing I wanted to hit was about the idea of, uh, of the uh, before the fall elections, is the idea of the debates. What, what is going to happen with the presidential debates? And, you know, for many Americans who pay attention to politics, I, I mean, it's, it's a funny thing. Diehard Democrat or you're a diehard Republican, you might enjoy the debates, you might watch them out of interest, but you don't think it's going to sway your vote. And so we, the activists on either side, can kind of forget that there is actually a wide swath of Americans who actually are independent or who actually are, you know, just not that tuned into politics. And so they kind of wait each time and they do actually want to see debates. They want to see the candidates who want to be present stand up in front of the American people and talk about the issues that matter. And the Democrat Party is fully aware that Joe Biden can not handle debates. He would be chewed up and spit out in the first debate by President Trump, who maintains enormous mental acuity, is on top of all sorts of issues, happy to debate, ready to debate to debate them. Democrats are in a pickle of what to do about debates, waiting to see if the debates will come along. So what has happened is you're starting to see this whole avalanche of media attention, avalanche of players on the American left who are coming out saying, you know, we don't need debates. That's ridiculous. Why do we have to have debates? And they're even trying to make it sound like they're giving insider advice to Biden that Biden, you know, he's really hankering to debate. Don't don't you doubt it. He really wants a debate. But, you know, he has to be convinced by these experts that he doesn't need to do that. But I wanted to share some of those with you. Bill Clinton's press secretary, Joe Lockhart, was on CNN and he urged, this is Bill Clinton press secretary encouraged Biden to skip the debates. In a CNN interview, he said he should skip the debates. Um, and this is actually after he already published a piece urging him also to skip the debates. And he was basically saying his idiotic reason was, well, you know, everyone knows that President Trump is a liar. So why should you debate with a liar? You don't have to debate with a liar. How are you going to do that? You know, don't even give him an opportunity to get up there and lie, which is the dumbest argument in the world, because if it were true that Trump was a big liar, which he is not, but if it were true, then, you know, this, you would be, you'd be hankering for a debate. You say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to debate him. I'm going to get up there. I'm going to point out he lies. I'm going to raise my hand and say, lie, 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 lie. That's what you would do. You would want the debate. But Lockhart's looking for a reason to excuse Biden not debating. That was one example. New York Times, published an op-ed urging the cancellation of this year's presidential debates. Newsweek published a piece claiming there's a rising number of Americans, probably from one to two, but whatever, Americans, uh, who support the idea that Biden should just skip the debates. Uh, Bill Kristol, former conservative, now insane Democrat, has urged the debates be canceled. A former uh, senior advisor to Hillary Clinton, Zach Petrus, said... Biden shouldn't feel, get this line, Biden shouldn't feel obligated to throw Trump a lifeline by granting him any debates at all. This isn't a normal presidential election and Trump is not a legitimate candidate. So he's arguing that because it's a not normal election year, which I mean, if anything was ever not a normal year, this is it, but still not a normal election year. And you shouldn't be throwing Trump a lifeline. I mean, people, Trump doesn't need a lifeline from Biden or anybody else. This is a this is a left hysterically trying to come up with some rationale, some rational rationale for urging Biden to skip the debates. And then there's also, um, you know, there was one last uh, urge of skipping debates. And I don't want to belabor this. The point is, there are usually many debates. And right now, the way the debate schedule is set, just so you know, the debate set is scheduled, is scheduled now. The schedule is that the first one would be September, I don't know what it is, 29th or something like that. And that is in a date after 
four states have already begun early voting. That's another whole problem in this country, but not four states have gone with early voting, have early voting that will be happening before the first debate. So, I mean, I guess in those states you could say, well, they're not forced to vote early. If they're undecided, I guess they won't. But the idea of putting debates off, you already have, I think it was Notre Dame, decided they were not going to host debates they previously agreed to host, but there are three now set. And uh, you have the Trump team urging more. The new Trump campaign manager, Bill Stepien, uh, is talking away um, uh, on media, just saying, hey, you know, uh, we'd like to have more debates. We want them sooner. We want to get out there and debate. Because Republicans recognize one debate will help the American people recognize Joe Biden cannot function and he can't be president. This is why the Democrats don't want to have any debates at all. But so you have a whole debate conundrum and you see the, you know, the sharks in the water or whatever you want to call them, the Democrat media mob circling, just finding a reason, floating reasons that Biden can use to explain why he's not going to debate. And on that subject, by the way, about the um, uh, about the debates, the other thing is very interesting. Um, I'm going to get to mail-in ballots, a whole other uh, major major league um, uh, fiasco. But on the on the subject of the popularity of the candidates, so you know, Republican enthusiasm for President Trump, his support numbers, his poll numbers with Republican voters who voted for him last time, may, remain consistent. Massive, massive majority of Trump voters previously uh, who voted for him last time are gung-ho, can't wait. But it's not just that they will vote for him. It is the difference in the enthusiasm factor. And this is huge because why the enthusiasm factor matters, you know, if you are a, um, you know, half-baked, yeah, I kind of like so-and-so, yeah, I guess I'll vote for him. You know, if you get to election day, and, you know, it's raining out or it's cold or it's a snowstorm or, you know, you have a sore throat, whatever. I'm not going to bother. But the enthusiasm factor for Trump voters is huge and must much bigger. OK, so I'll just give you a few numbers. Forty two percent of Trump supporters polled. Forty two percent of Trump supporters polled describe themselves as excited heading into the election. Only thirty one percent of Biden supporters say the same thing. So Trump supporters can't wait to have his election. Biden supporters, eh, kind of meh, you know. And the, But all sorts of other uh, great ideas, great numbers for Trump. Just saying, basically, you know, his supporters, they want the Trump agenda. They want strong America. They want America first. They want to have strong borders. They want to have a free market system. They want to reject the rising socialism. They want to have a strong military. They want to stand up against uh, the massive illegal immigration. They want to have reformed immigration system that reward that protects the American worker. They want all sorts of things on the Trump agenda. Um, and uh, the Democrats, I mean, really the main thing mo motivating most Democrats who are talking about Biden is not because they think he's great. It's because uh, the, they are anti-Trumpers. So the Democrats kind of have to run this whole campaign on an anti-Trump you know, vote for us, we're not Trump is about the best slogan Biden could come up with. Vote for me, I'm not Trump. But I want to go one other huge factor coming out of the basement, um, and that is this. The push for mail-in ballots in this country is huge, huge on the left. The left is pushing mail-in ballots, and the reason is because they are a complete playground, a playground for a toy store full of potential mischief for Democrat fraud voters, for the fraud the Democrats can engage in in trying to get this election won by Joe Biden. That's the Democrats support mail-in ballots because mail-in ballots are the best way to commit fraud. I want to give you just two examples. Uh, and, and we've had in the show before Hans von Spakovsky from the Heritage Foundation extensively about this. I just saw last night he has two new pieces up. He's coming on the show tomorrow, I think. So uh, maybe we'll talk about that too with him, but there's massive evidence of the of the potential for fraud in mail-in ballots. But one thing I want to float for you, um, so in, in the state of Nevada, the Democrat-controlled uh, legislature in the state of Nevada, desperate to be sure Nevada sticks with, uh, goes with Biden and doesn't go with Trump, they had a dark of the night passage of new election laws in the state of Nevada. So as a result of what they passed in Nevada, 
the way it works now, talk about mail-in ballot, you know, playground for fraud. In Nevada now, if this law is not challenged, you can enter a nursing home. You don't have to be related to the person you're working with, the person whose vote you're allegedly going to collect. You can go to a nursing home, a perfectly healthy person, go to a nursing home with an absentee ballot, fill in the ballot, and for somebody, you're not, you don't have to be related to him, you don't have to claim you know him, but you're allowed to get the votes of these dementia patients without their signature. No signature required. So imagine the fraud going into nursing home, especially one, you know, also run by Democrats. You show up there, you have a lot of dementia patients. And so you can have their citizens of Nevada and they might have registered to vote at some point. You can vote their ballot. You don't have to be related to them. You don't have to know them. You don't have to have their signature and you vote their ballot and off it goes as a mail-in ballot. This is the kind of skullduggery that the Democrats will engage in around this country if we go to all mail-in ballots. And I'll be clear, I think mail-in ballots have a place. We should have mail-in ballots for the military, the diplomats serving our country around the world, people serving America around the world, the truly bedridden, the truly disabled. I mean, I'm not against all mail-in ballots, but the standard should be everybody votes in person unless you have a clear, specific reason why you can't. And I know this is a matter of state law, and I know states, some states have had all mail-in ballots for a long time, but I'll tell you another example. This is just one example of laws that could change in Democrat states. So now you're gonna have in Nevada, people voting for dementia patients. What could go wrong with that? In the state of New York, they had a primary back on June 23rd, a primary on June 23rd, and just yesterday, a judge, a federal court judge, had to order election officials in the state of New York to count the mail-in ballots. Okay, we're way past June 23rd, to be clear. We're in August. Finally got to a federal court judge. But what happened was a lot of the ballots, mail-in ballots, came in. And obviously, mail-in means you go through the U.S. Postal Service. So people sent in mail-in ballots, and there was no date stamp on them. It's not the voter's fault. That voter is not the one who puts the post office date stamp. The post office is supposed to do that. But some postal box, I think in Brooklyn, basically didn't stamp any of these mail-in ballots. They didn't have a date stamp, so they counted. And that's just one little example. Please you know, absorb this point. People complain about the Postal Service all the time. People have a story about, yeah, I mailed my cousin, you know, my wedding invitation. It was two years ago. She just got it yesterday. Things get lost in the mail. We have stories all over this country, mail carriers who for whatever reason don't like their job. We had a story in Texas where we had a whole pile of mail that was supposed to have been carried and delivered by a particular carrier found in a trash dump. If mail-in ballots, at a massive level. You're talking about millions and millions of new pieces of US mail that the left is pushing. The left wants mail-in ballots available in every state and not, not just subject to people who are in the military or diplomats or, or disabled or some other reason. They wanna have mail-in ballots as widely available as possible, which means they will have millions and millions and millions of new pieces of mail higher than the average of mail in a system already cumbersome and not impressive. And then anything like well, you, this story in New York where the post office just didn't date stamp, you know, a whole pile of mail-in ballots didn't get counted. Having your vote subject to the whim, irresponsibility, uh, you know, mistake of the U.S. Postal Service compounded by millions and millions and millions of voters compounded by the propensity and the playground level ability of leftists to contort the, the uh, use of mail-in ballots, to abuse them, to mail-in ballots. We had this in California. We talked about, like, I can't remember, this was 2016, many years ago, several years ago, 
uh, where you had the mail-in ballots that turned up in, I think it was five congressional districts in California and the Republican and conservative areas. And the Republican won the election on election night based on the ballots cast. And then after all the mail-in ballots, you know, later discovered or not yet counted, all counted and all seats flipped to the Democrat. You have to understand the Democrats are desperate to get rid of President Trump. It is why they engaged in the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. It is why they tried to impeach him for what Joe Biden did. It is why they hammer on him daily about everything he does. The Democrats want President Trump out of office more than they want life itself. And it's not because of his tweets. And it's not because they think he has an abrasive personality or they don't like him or they don't like his hairstyle. It is because President Trump has stopped the Democrat tracks in turning this country over the socialist cliff. Barack Obama almost had us there, very, very close. And you have the Democrats hysterical about getting Trump out of office because they want their radical leftist agenda and Trump is the boulder in the road standing in the way. They will do anything to get him out, including someone who has advanced dementia, can't handle debates, can't handle a conversation, can't serve as president, but they just get this guy with a D next to his name over time, whatever it takes, including mail-in ballot fraud, massive fraud, they don't care. The goal is to get the Democrat elected. And the only people standing in the way of that mission of the Democrat Party are President Trump and his supporters, people who push back in every state. They try to pull mail-in ballot garbage in your state. If, you, if it's not already law in your state, watch what your state government is doing. Challenge your state government if they are doing this kind of, well, got to move toward mail-in ballots, got to move toward an extended voting season. People... And I want to go back and talk about how COVID is playing into all this and uh, Fauci's just un unbelievable, um, I don't even know what to call it, what polite word I can call it, but Fauci's mission to make sure that we do not have uh, a, a cure for COVID, which is what Fauci's mission is. If we have a cure for COVID and hydroxychloroquine works and everybody's healthy or people are getting healthy and not, and they're not fearful and they're going back to work, and America is functioning as normal, then there's no justification for the mail-in ballot, mail-in ballot hysteria, no justification for massively extending the this is what this is what how COVID ties in to the election. There's a determination by the left to make sure COVID stays a crisis because the economy stays a crisis. And if the economy is a crisis, then Trump doesn't do as well as he did when the economy was good. And if you have COVID remain in place, you have alleged necessity for mail. And all of this is being manipulated to work against President Trump in the 2020 elections. And this, my friends, is why we must stand up against the effort to expand mail-in ballots, the effort to expand votes. And we must demand hydroxychloroquine considered a legitimate treatment in this country for COVID-19. I think I've gone past my time today. It's kind of hard to see when I'm in out here. I don't have a clock I can see, but I think I'm over my time. So let's do today, turn to why the stories we talked about today matter to you. We started on the very first story today on COVID gates and HCQ. <clears throat> documenting HC data, documenting HCQ efficacy treating COVID is rapidly accumulating all over the world. 51 studies now support the use of hydroxychloroquine against COVID-19. Entire country's data show lower death rates when HCQ widely available, has a 75-year history of safety and efficacy with malaria, lupus, other diseases. Recovered patients are real. They have no incentive to lie. They do not care whether there was or was not a Fauci-approved study. Uh, and so you had, which was challenged the efficacy of uh, COVID-19. So American Association of Physicians and Surgeons suing the federal government to provide our HCQ availability why should this lawsuit be necessary? It shouldn't be in this country. Fauci's relentless put-downs smothering of HCQ news reeks of an agenda, and Americans sense it. Time to support President Trump. I'm going to go on to the next slide here. And then we have the next slide uh, when Matt gets up there. Okay, news from Biden's basement bunker. 
I, I just can hardly tell you people how important I think it is for to recognize how desperate the Democrats are, number one, and then number two, because they are desperate, they are uh, going to be just um, hysterical to make everything that Biden is doing, um, you know, what they, desperate to get Biden elected. So on the news from Biden's basement bunker, Trump approval rating now 51%, enthusiasm gap strongly favors Trump, Biden's mental declines reportedly accelerating the Democrat strategy rollout. No debates. Meme has officially launched Joe Lockhart, New York Times, Bill Crystal, all out with contrived rationales for canceling debates, not fooling anyone. Biden is mentally unable to debate. VP choice being delayed. Dems know that Americans know Biden's VP is president November 4th. If Biden were to win, Karen Bass linked to Nation of Islam is not going to cut it. Michelle Obama would be the best choice, but I don't think she's going to give in. Mail-in ballots being enabled and justified by Fauci-extended pandemic fears, pure playground for fraud and delay, for stealing an election. Nevada hijinks are just the beginning. Democrats have shown their true colors in 2020 like never before. Americans must reject all radical leftism, which which means reject all Democrats and vote Trump. And that, my very fine friends, is my show for today's America Can We Talk? Please tune in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk. We're going to say the name of my website very slowly because I get emails asking. AmericaCanWeTalk.org. And you can email me at AmericaCanWeTalk at gmail.com. I love talking truth about America every day with you. I love talking about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can-